Hello, listeners. Mark here, your second favorite Flop of the Heap host. Today's episode of Flop of the Heap covers Chuchem, a 1960s musical which was self-titled the Zen Buddhist Hebrew musical. To be frank, our original intentions in choosing to cover this musical was because out of all the Jewish-centric musical flops we could find to cover for Hanukkah, this one was the most intriguing of the bunch. We thought its incorporation of two seemingly unrelated cultures would be fascinating. And the show's real-life subjects, the Kaifeng Jews, indeed are a fascinating and noteworthy subject and culture. However, upon further inspection, it was clear that the show was written through the lens of a mostly Jewish creative team, using Chinese culture as a prop with which to express the show's message and story with little regard for Chinese culture, Asian culture, or the very Kaifeng Jews who the show is supposed to center on. Because we were not present at the show's initial creation, it is impossible for us to completely understand what the creators were aiming for. However, what we can say is that the use of Yellowface in the show, or in any show, regardless of when the show was created, is unacceptable. Many of the show's attempts at humor through caricature and stereotype were unacceptable. And overall, despite some progressive casting decisions made in the production, many other decisions made by the creative team, including the aforementioned unacceptables, were in fact racist and are in no way supported by Flop of the Heap. Nonetheless, we felt it necessary to do the episode anyway. Part of our show's concept is highlighting failure as part of the creative process, and to treat those failures as something to learn from. To ignore these mistakes would be antithetical to our mission statement. We continue to support diversity in casting, and hope Broadway and Hollywood alike will do better in representing Asian actors as well as other minority actors and actors of color in all forms of media, with appropriate representatives at the helm in positions as writers and directors as well. With that, please let us know how we can do better and enjoy this week's episode. I take you to it. Critics are calling Chu Chem cluttered and skimpy. Kosher, but meatless. A brittle skeleton. Stephen R. Allen of the Courier Post says, Chu Chem is the greatest Chinese Hebrew musical ever written. But as an ordinary musical, it's as interesting as Chinese water torture. So, make sure your wrist straps are tight and don't forget to bring a towel. Chu Chem is drip, drip, dripping its way to you, now on Flop of the Heap. Flop of the Heap's mission is not to bash, rip, pan, grill, or flambe the Broadway productions we explore. Nor are we here to put performers and other artists down. We are merely here to revisit, and perhaps breathe new life into, Broadway musicals which would otherwise be lost to the ages. Finding enjoyment in the goofy. The absurd. The triumphs and foibles that come with making professional theater and art in general. We recognize the performers, technicians, directors, choreographers, producers, writers, and staff poured their life and soul into these shows. And that no single individual is responsible for the fate of a flop. More importantly, we also recognize that part of the creative process is 
failure, and believe facing those failures with a critical but genial attitude should be the norm. There could be no success without failure. After all, you can't spell hopeful without flop. Boop. Testing, one, two. Test, test, test. All right, great, fantastic. Yay. Um, how exciting is this? A Hanukkah episode? Well, early Hanukkah. Early Hanukkah episode. It'll be out around then, I think. I don't know. Oh, right, totally. Yeah, Hanukkah starts December 10th this year. Correct. Very appropriate. I'm Jewish, and you're not Jewish, but you play one on TV, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Jewish, but I, I can play one. Yes. Have I ever told you about my brilliant Hanukkah entrepreneurial idea? I uh, don't think you have. Oh, great, because you're an entrepreneur yourself, and um, maybe you want to invest all that sweet, sweet celebs our food money into this idea. <laughs> uh, the company name is Festival of Lights. Okay. Okay. Our main product are bacon fat Hanukkah candles. And they are called Hognuka candles. John's looking. Spell Hognuka. Please spell Hognuka. H O G. Oh, not C H. No, Hog. <laughs> like a pig. I mean, yeah. Hold on. There's. I think you're missing. I think you're missing a golden opportunity to, to spell Hog. C H O G, and then the rest. However, it is U K K U H. Okay, that's why we're workshopping this. There's a um. There's a jingle. Do you want to hear the jingle? Okay, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so it's set to the theme of, uh, you know, Hanukkah, Hanukkah, come like the menorah. All right, you ready for it? Sure. Hagnukas for Hanukkah, come smell the menorah. Tasty scents for girls and gents and for your favorite goy. Ah. Oh, good. Yeah, that's really great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's a, that's a good jingle. I think we're going to make a million dollars. It could make... What? How much? It could make a half a mil. And between that and this podcast, we'll have the full mil. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, to make money, you have to have money. That's true. Like, you can, uh, you know, I can sell a hundred calendars, but if I wanted to make money, I'd have to have, like, a factory, like, churning them out. <laughs> you know? And I'd have to I'd have to have the money to advertise to every perfect audience nationwide. I'd have to be cooking bacon 24-7. I would just have... It would be a terrible fire hazard. By the way, uh, Festival of Lights is not responsible for... It's an LLC. It's not responsible for any grease fires or um, scarring, uh, disfiguring burns. Regular burns, yes. All right. So we're doing two musicals. Yeah. We're doing two separate episodes, right? I don't know. Well, I like the idea of making two episodes. That way you can release one and then wait a week and then release the other. And we won't be so pressured to record next time. Yeah, because we want to keep the people happy. I mean, the people come here for (laughs) these flop stories and we have to... Bring them. All ten of you. But the ten that we do have, <laughs> they get it. They get it. They're great. They're they're very they're very oh, attractive. Oh, they're f***ing hot. I can tell from here. <laughs> the Flop of the Heap podcast is brought to you by Celebs or Food at Instagram. The only Instagram account where celebrities are, in fact, food. Now offering 2021 Celebrities or Food calendars, including all your favorites like Rhubarbra Streisand, Okra Winfrey, Sardina Menzel, and Patty Lumarscapone. Celebs underscore R underscore food at Instagram for more info.
Um, so we're going to start with a show called Chu Chem, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, speaking of, you know, k- keeping it in the theme tonight. Oh, I got to tell you, before we even begin, the saga of trying to listen to the demo CD for Chu Chem. Is it, is it cast singing or is it the composers at a piano? What's the style of the... It's a, a small cast, but that's not the point. I mean, it was awful. In the end, it was all completely not worth it. But... I bought the damn thing, and I I thought it would get here before I went away for Thanksgiving, and then it didn't, and we came back, and we thought we were recording the next day, and I take out the CD. First thing, I'm so f***ing angry, I take it out, and it's not Chu Chem. The cover says Mata Hari, which is a different flop. It's on the list. Luckily, Amanda, in her brilliance, says, why don't you... Open it up and just make, make sure. Sure. Yeah. sure. Yeah, sure enough, both musicals were burnt onto the same CD. Oh, so we're good okay. there. I then proceed to go play it on my computer and realize for the first time in my life, I have bought a laptop that doesn't have a disk drive. <laughs> you didn't realize until now. How long ago did you buy the laptop? About a year. <laughs> this is your first reason of using <laughs> yep. a disc for anything. Wow. Yeah, I really miss having a disc drive. I mean, I have lots of stuff on disc. So I knew I needed um, like an external because I was going to have to rip the damn thing anyway. So I ordered one. It's not supposed to be there for like two days till after we're supposed to record. And I'm like, ah, oh, God damn it. What are we going to do? I start calling around to all these electronic shops uh either no one has it they don't answer their phones some guy was like i have a flash drive thanks i don't know what you think that does i mean maybe he meant like you buy an external uh hard drive or place to store but i explained to him what i want he said no but i have a flash drive i I don't know i who cares well it's about as close as you can get in 2020 to someone selling you a cd player (laughs) uh we walked to sears disgusting, horrible Sears. No f***ing luck there. God, that place is a f***ing dump. Uh, we walked to Five Below. No luck. We even considered going across the street, and we would have if it would have been in stock. We were like, we've been talking about buying the new Xbox. If GameStop, by some miracle, has it, I'll pay $500 to listen to this f***ing CD. Of course, out of stock there. Ah. And then as we're walking back, we pass this, like, discount store that sells everything under the sun and we walk in sure enough behind the damn thing is a $40 boom box I buy it <laughs> oh amazing uh, yeah I buy <laughs> I really it. need to get one I don't have anything that plays CDs or DVDs at the moment well don't worry this story ends you can have it um I buy it we come back I shook us some nice little cocktails we put our new couch together while listening to the god Awful demo CD of Chu Chem. <laughs> so sorry. We we do this stuff for you, folks. We torture ourselves so that you can be entertained. I hope you appreciate this. Well, here's the real shit show. That external showed up a day early. I didn't need to. It showed up the next day. I didn't need to buy that f-ing CD player. So what I'm asking is, does anyone need a forty dollar boombox? Oh, I'll take it, dude. Yeah, all yours. Oh, I will. Does it work? Yeah. I will 100% take it. I have I have my original Broadway cast recording of Flahuli right here. Oh, you got it? Yeah, I, I found it. On, I found it on a stoop. Oh, right. 
I forgot that was Flahooli. That's insane. People, I, I live in Brooklyn, and people here leave things they don't need anymore on their stoops. And it's a perfect idea because you could be walking down the street and it's like, oh, I need a picture frame that's that exact size. Or, oh, I, I've been meaning to buy that book. Or, oh, and it's just like free stuff all over the place. It's great. Sometimes, sometimes your gay great uncle dies and, <laughs> you know, Flahooli ends up on the, on the third step. That's fantastic. Yeah. Should we dive into this monster? Yeah, so folks, we're trying something a little bit different. These two shows don't have a ton written up about them, so Mark and I decided to kind of split them into into mini episodes. But what we did is Mark researched Chucham and I researched a different show called The Education of Hyman Kaplan. And No, yeah, it's sorry. It's the education of H asterisk Y Y asterisk M asterisk A asterisk. Yeah. That is that is true. Um, <laughs> these are both interesting, but we don't know if we had enough material for a full episode. So um, I didn't do any research on Choo Chem, so I'm going to ask Mark to tell me all about it. I cannot wait. And then we did the opposite with Hyman Kaplan. So here we go. Um, Mark, are you ready to, to, to delve right in? Give me three seconds okay. to make sure that my gain is where I want it. Mm-hmm. Okay, now... I am ready to okay. talk about Chuchem. Okay, first of all, Mark, please spell Chuchem. C-H-U-C-H-E-M. Chuchem. Two words. Can you use it in a sentence? I cannot. Question, question number two. What the f*** is Chuchem? Uh, it's actually a play on words. Chuchem is the name that the main character is given by a prince... But if you read it the Hebrew way, with the CH being chuz, mm-hmm. it's chochem, which oh. is wise man. Oh, okay, wise man. When yeah. did it open? So the show opened up, first of all, in Philadelphia at the Locust Theater, November 15th, 1966. Uh, closed four days later. The show then went on hiatus for 23 years? 23 years. <laughs> Well, they just, you know, made some minor adjustments. <laughs> some minor adjustments. Uh, 23 years later... <laughs> 23 years later, it goes up at the Yiddish Repertory Theater um, in 1989. It gets some good reviews. It ends up on Broadway April 7th, 1989. And closed. And closed May 14th, 1989. Yes, and Chuchem Part 1 never opened on Broadway at all. It closed in Philadelphia. Yeah, bad things happen in Philadelphia. Bad things happen in Philadelphia. Love Philadelphia. (laughs) Love it. Our Philadelphia listeners, tell your friends. I've lived there. I love it. It's a great city. But on Broadway, it opened April 7th, 1989. 24 previews, 45 performances. Performances. Gotcha. Um, and what theater was it at? It was at the Ritz, which is now the Walter Kerr, the current home of Hades Town. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so 19... Wait, what did you say? 88 or 89? 89. Okay. What else was running in 89 or at this time? Well, it was probably the floppiest season in Broadway history. Oh. Uh, this was the season of Chu Chem. <laughs> the season of Carrie. Oh! The season of Legs Diamond. 
and the season <gasps> of Star Mites. These are all flops. And guess what? Chu Chem wasn't even nominated for anything. Do you know how hard it is not to get nominated for Tony Award? God damn it, SpongeBob SquarePants the musical got nominated for 12. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The reason the demo even exists is that it was just recorded by uh very quickly by the composers and a small cast to hand out to the Tony Awards people uh-huh. uh to get, you know, some recognition because almost no one went and saw it. So let's continue on with our um I could have Googled all night segment. Okay, yeah. Uh, who wrote the music and lyrics? Mitch Lee. Mitch Lee of Man of La Mancha fame. Chu Chen was written just one year after Man of La Mancha. One year after the, the like, epic success of Man of La Mancha. Not only was it an epic success at the time, it's one of the most successful shows in Broadway history. Uh, people will be singing uh, impossible The Impossible Dream. Dream. <laughs> yeah, until we're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, quinceañeras and uh, weddings and outside Brian Stokes Mitchell's uh, Upper West Side apartment sure. until the f***ing sun burns out. I want I want Brian Stokes Mitchell to sing to me from the balcony on the Statue of Liberty's torch. You can't go up there, John. I want him to be able to. I need a special provision written for Brian Stokes Mitchell. Um, and the book was by Mitch Lee as well? No, book was by Ted Allen, not the Queer Eye and Chopped host. That's not oh, who yeah. I'm talking about. Uh, he's the guy who wrote Lies My Father Told Me. Have you ever seen the movie? I don't think I have, no. It's like uh, Jews in, I want to say Ontario. I don't know. It's like a coming-of-age Jewish okay. story. Who wrote the lyrics? Uh, lyrics by Jim Haynes and Jack Wool. You know what other credits they have, John? I'm going to say none. None. <laughs> I'm gonna, none. Anyone notable directing, choreographing, producing? So, <laughs> they got Albert Marr, who directed Man of La Mancha, to direct this show as well. In addition to that, they also got Jack Cole, who choreographed Man of La Mancha, mm-hmm. to not only choreograph this show, but to be in the show as a character called, by the way, I gotta apologize, this show is so dated and so inappropriate. If you're offended, I'm sorry. Jack Cole played a role called Mongol Lord Hoo-Ha. Oh no. Lord Hoo-Ha? Lord Hoo-Ha. We didn't say this before, but this is a Zen Buddhist Hebrew musical. Yes, that was my next question was, what is this particular flop known for? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, okay, so I did, like, apparently there is a historical regional connection between, I guess, is it Chinese culture and uh, Orthodox Judaism? So, there are Chinese Jews uh, that came there over different periods of time, but Mm -hmm. specifically... This show is about the Kaifeng Jews. Ted Allen went to Kaifeng, and that's where he got the idea, hey, I'm going to 
write this show. What are the uh, cow? What are it? What is it? Kai Fung. Kai Fung. What are the Kai Fung Jews? I'm gonna say this right now. I am not a historian. You can call me on my shit. I'll, you know, I'll yes, take please it. Please always call an email with corrections. Yeah. So he kind of conflates the whole existence of these Jews with the idea of the lost tribes, which is something Jews always it's like a folklore thing. You know, uh, in the early, I want to say 700 or so BC, there was a, a war, a takeover of oh, Israel. This and, is old history. Yeah. All these Jews fled. And everyone's always like, where did they go? Maybe they're this people and they're this people. But the truth is about that whole idea is it was probably a lot of historians would claim created by mostly missionaries. You know, they would come to an area. They would go, oh, my God, you're not going to believe this. You're the chosen people. You're the missing tribe. And oh, my God, have I got something to tell you. There's a part two Mm-hmm. to the bible <laughs> and then would try to convert them it's kind of a less bloody way of converting people but the sure. kaifeng jews very likely are not a lost tribe by all accounts they came to china around 900 a.d they're probably mizrahi jews they probably came there from india or maybe persia uh i was telling my mother about this because she's she loves history mm-hmm. um Me too. and she was yeah yeah i know you, you love history and my mother, my mother says, you know, maybe they came there, you know, hunting or or scavenging or looking for food. And I said, Mom, Jews don't hunt. When have you ever seen a Jew hunt? We, they they were clearly following the trade routes. Huh. <laughs> I can say it. You can't. That's a stereotype. Um, that's a stereotype, Mark, and I will not allow it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So these people were not even uh, recognized by. Europeans until the 1600s. There was this Jesuit priest. He's visited by this Jew from Kaifeng. He sees a picture of Mary and Jesus, and the guy believes them to be Rachel and Jacob or Rachel and Yaakov, whatever, whatever you want to do it, Jewish or the Christian way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he goes, Oh my God, how do you know who they are? And he sends one of his guys over to Kaifeng. They look at their scrolls and they're like, oh my god, it's a Torah. Oh my god, it's lacking these little uh, things that show you how to pronounce a vowel that are relatively new. It must be a very old Torah. These are Jews who have been here for quite a while. Hmm. Wow. Currently, there's only a couple, I want to say about a thousand maybe Jews living in Kaifeng. The current Chinese government doesn't recognize Judaism as one of the five religions that they recognize. Uh, So they've, you know, basically deleted them from history, torn down any sort of statues or religious symbols that they have in the region, and they kind of have to practice in secret. They do practice a couple of Jewish things. Usually um, they don't eat pork, they don't eat shrimp, Mm -hmm. and they bury their dead like uh, most Jews do. Sim- similar cultural traditions, but, uh, you know, relocated and assimilated with local culture, yes. I imagine, and, and yes. those traditions. And Oh, sort of interesting fact about the mm-hmm. Kaifeng Jews, going back to me not being a historian. Yeah. There are some Kaifeng Jews living in Israel, about, I think, about two dozen or so. Um, you know, they went there to learn about their heritage and study. The interesting thing about it, though, is... 
you know, Jews are basically, if you go to Israel and you want to live there, basically you can become a citizen, no problem. Israel doesn't consider them Jews. They actually had to convert because by Jewish standards, your mother has to be Jewish for you to be Jewish. And their whole system had it through the father. So they actually had to convert to be recognized as Jewish and citizens of Israel. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, okay. So Mitch Lee says to himself, you know, first I tackled Don Quixote and, you know, this epic. And now I'm doing the... What is it? What's what is it? What 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 happens? <laughs> <laughs> I'm skipping a couple questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, so, first of all, the style—you got to talk about the style of the show. It's these Western actors performing with a Chinese acting troupe, and it's a play within a play. Wait a minute! Um, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Are there Asian actors in the show as well? Yes. Okay. There isn't any yellow face in the show. Other than Jack Cole, who, as far as I know, is not Asian and just studied a lot of Asian dance. Lord Hoo-Ha. Lord Hoo-Ha. Okay. So they, it's a play within a play, and they use a lot of common Chinese theater elements. But, you know, it's very surface level. I think one review called it someone's wild idea of the Chinese theater. You know, so it's like every very basic thing, shadows... You know, shadow usage, the sleeve usage. Um, they also, in Chu Chem, would use colored strings to represent plot lines, sort of like the red string of fate, which is common in Chinese folklore. Okay. And they would use it to connect characters and plot points. I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm doing a show, or I'm watching a show, rather, and it requires a chart, <laughs> I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> so the story... The story uh, takes place in about 1600 AD, so about 600 years after the Kaifeng Jews showed up in China. It's a, a Western father, um, who they call Chu Chem, or Chochem, uh, a mother, Rose, daughter, Lottie. They're traveling in search of the Jews who supposedly passed through there in 1000 AD, 600 years earlier. As a scientific expedition, as like a personal journey, What? It, why? personal journey but also to look for some reason simultaneously look for a suitor for their daughter because you got to have a love story or it's a side, not side plot yes the young prince in china falls in love with her but the daughter is a a feminist uh and they describe her in the show as quote the daughter of the future they describe her as the daughter of the future as her nickname yeah i guess sort of, i don't know it sounds like an ad like for a car, the car of the future. They call her in one of the uh, reviews a regular Connecticut yenta in King Ming's court. So she she's betrothed. No, the prince is in love with her. Her issue is this prince is living the prince lifestyle. He's got his concubines and his four wives, and she's like, "No, I am woman. Hear me roar." <laughs> I'm not putting up with this shit. Okay. You want me, you got to get rid of the concubines and all the other wives. Um, story happens. In the end, the prince decides to give up his princely ways and give up the concubines. He marries the daughter, Hooray, who doesn't love a wedding. Uh, and Chu Chem finds that the very Jews he was looking for 
were around him all the time. They had assimilated into the local population, it being the one rare occasion in Jewish history where the Jews were accepted in their new land and not persecuted (laughs) or isolated. Oh my god. (laughs) And that's the end. Uh, But it's sort of to bring up this question of is that a good thing? And I, that's the one thing I like about the show. It, it leaves you with a question. Okay. So you set up a framework for a interesting historical story of a powerful woman, which is, you know, a plot we like. Yeah. What what happened? Uh, any Who is in the cast? Anyone we might know? Oh, great. That original production had uh, Menasha Skolnick. He's a big Yiddish okay. theater person. They originally wanted Zero Mostal, mm-hmm. but he got cast in something stupid called Fiddler on the Roof. I mean, idiot. Could have been doing Chin Chen. Mm, he made the right move. Menasha Skolnick, um, he's a very famous Yiddish um, actor. He did the Goldbergs, not the TV show, but the radio, old radio okay. play uh, for 19 years. Molly Pacone played the wife. She's a silent film actress. Uh, she was the matchmaker in the Fiddler on the Roof movie. Okay. If you remember her. Yeah. She was in Cannonball Run 1 and 2. You ever seen both of those with Burt Reynolds? I have, but I probably couldn't tell you who she was. Yeah, she's like the, I want to say the mother of one of the characters. Okay, anyone else? You Jack Cole as Mongol Lord Hoo-Ha, despite his clearly Western heritage. You also had the son of Man Mountain Dean. Have you ever heard of Man Mountain Dean? No. It's a famous, very famous like early 1900s wrestler. Huge guy. His son, also huge, they put in the show because between acts during intermission, they just had two guys sumo wrestling on the stage for the entire intermission. Sumo isn't even Chinese, John. What? Oh, okay. So now we know why this was a flop. It was... Insensitive? A a piece of chinoiserie created by white people. Or, I guess in this case... Jewish people? Is Mitch Lee Jewish? Born in the Bronx, I want to say. So probably. He got a good chance of him being Jewish. Okay, yeah, I guess I didn't really know that. Yeah. So it's from a Jewish perspective, but in my mind, I mean, I've never, you know, I'll never have the opportunity to see it, but it's just wrong. Oh, 100%. And, you know, and then you start to think back, you're like, was this okay, what they did in Man of La Mancha? Because that was also, they were like, ooh, exotic lands, Spain, like, you know. Yeah, sure. Play within a play. So the whole tale of how we get from Philly to New York. To unemployment. To un- <laughs> Yeah, exactly, to unemployment. Um, so the show is previewing in Philly. The public gets its first hint that the show isn't going well when Molly Pacone stops coming to rehearsals the week before previews after storming out after an argument with the director They wanted to make her role smaller. She was not okay with that. Oh, boy. Yeah. So she abdicates her role uh, right before the final preview. The show gets postponed, and they put in Henrietta Jacobson, who is the sister of Irving Jacobson, who is the original Sancho Panza in Man of La Mancha. So basically, they were like, oh, shit, what do we do? They called all their friends. They're like, anyone know an actress? And... Irving Jacobson was like, my sister will do it. Whoa. Yeah. So her his sister wasn't in the company and stepped up into the role. She was just brought in from nowhere. I, I believe so, as far as I can tell. <laughs> to learn the role. Yep. 
she actually has a great this she's quoted in the middle of the first performance she turns to the audience and she goes there was a song here but you're better off without it she turned to the audience and said that <laughs> yep and they passed right over the song wow i cannot wait for critical reception <laughs> they're good i cannot wait uh, so it got such bad reviews there, uh, specifically a review by Mr. Ernest Shear, I believe was the name, were so scathing. Uh, things like, this will be a mini critical reception. A things mini? Like, okay, hold on. We have, to, we have to make a new sound effect for mini <laughs> critical reception. Hold on. It's a mini critical reception. Yay. Ready, go. Uh, he called the show confused and tasteless. He called it thoroughly unpalatable, like blintzes and soy sauce. And Ooh. most... <laughs> <laughs> that just made me a little nauseous. <laughs> most memorable quote from him. He called the show the king and oi! The King and Oi. Oh, that's good. Maybe he only gave it a bad review because he had that perfect title. Like, maybe it was a perfectly fine show, except he had that pun, and he couldn't not have that be the title of the article. So he just had to he had to write a pan because that was the title. The, the King and Oi. It's the most brilliant thing that's ever been created. And now, this. What's wrong with you? You look like someone bopped you in the bobka. Uh, I just can't find the hook for this true chem review. Right as block has got me bang right in the kishkas. What you need is something scathing, but fun. How about wordplay? Everyone loves wordplay. Something like, uh... Fiddler in the rough? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, South not too specific. <laughs> uh, how about the macaw? Oh! Mm -hmm. Needs more fusion, a little Jewish, a little Asianish, something like, uh, ooh, milk in Hanoi. Shangrilatkas? Flower deedle deedle drum song. Madame Schmaltzfly. What? Because instead of butter, we use chicken fat. Oh, nah. I can get it for you who wants sale. Why is it all? <gasps> Miss Saigoy. Yen. Tol. Can you hear me? The I? Ooh, Pacific Oivitches. I got it! The King and Oi! Ah, that's it! Oh, you did it, you... You magnificent mensch of a manchu. Uh, we did it. Oh, we deedle-deedle-did it. We deedle-deedle-did. And that's the story of how Philadelphia bulletin critic Ernie Shear went from schmear to top tier. <laughs> Good night, folks. The show opens... On a Tuesday, it closes that Saturday, a week before they're expected to close. Uh, basically, they say, oh, we need to start preparing for our Broadway run in January. They had a lot of preparing to do because it took another 26 or so years before it actually moved to Broadway. Okay. So here's how this all Are happened. you, hold on, hold on. Are you playing any of Mitch Lee's uh, Suburb of a Future Oh, commercial yeah. here. Yes. I was actually about to get just about to get to that. <laughs> so, you know, around 1989, a little bit before that, Mitch Lee decides I still have this white whale to catch and its name is Chu Chem. 
Now, between the two iterations of Chuchem, Mitch had two other flops, Cry for Us All, which I really don't even understand the plot of, and It's on um, the list. It's is it on the list? I remember seeing it there, yeah. Oh. We we made it we're we're adding slowly adding names to a list. Oh, yes. You you at home, you can reach out to us at what's our email, Mark? <laughs> Show at flopoftheheappodcast.com. And you can uh, request that certain flops be put on the list or ask if they're there already. So his other flop during that time, another, uh, this is a one-nighter, one of the other biggest flops in Broadway history. Do you know what it is? Wait a minute. Cry for us all? Cry for us all lasted a few days. Okay. He had another flop. It lasted one single night. And what was that? It starred Yule Brenner. You have any idea? I don't know at all. Home Sweet Homer? Yes, I've heard about this one. Yeah. Home Sweet Homer uh, ran one single night. I think the closing notice was up before the curtain even fell. And it's a <laughs> musical adaption of the Odyssey. I love the name, though. Great name. Get the closing notice while you're still finishing Act 2. <laughs> that's so sad. That's, the, that's so sad. That's when you turn to the audience and you go, there was a song here, but I don't give two yeah. You, you 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 walk <laughs> off left. You cross through the hall. You see the notice. Then you go back on stage for your next entrance, and you are checked out. Yep. <laughs> In addition to those two flops, um, he also <laughs> produced. He was Mitch decided let's do some producing. Okay. His production company put up four shows in its life: a flop revival of Mame, a flop revival of The King and I, Chu Chem 2.0. And a failed Man of La Mancha revival. Whoa, really? Did yeah. did did Mitch Lee die penniless? <laughs> Maybe that's why he had to open up Jackson 21. Maybe. So about the time that Chuchem 2.0 happened, he started buying up land in Jackson, New Jersey, which is one town over from I was born and raised. Uh, it's near Six Flags Great Adventure. Yeah. And he decided to start a, what would you call that? A development project? A, a housing A real estate project. project. It, see, it had the layout and the sort of setup of a retirement community, but it was not age-based. It was, it was based in not being a shitty person. My name is Mitch Lee. I'm a dreamer. I was born in Brownsville, Brooklyn. I dreamed of getting out. I dreamed of going to college. I joined the Army, got the GI Bill, and went to Yale. I dreamed of composing a Broadway musical. I won the Tony for my Man of La Mancha and the Impossible Dream. Then I started to buy land at Exit 21 on the I-195 at Jackson, New Jersey, between Philadelphia and New York. I began to dream of Jackson 21, a green village where you breathe clean air, where the tap water is purer than rain where more than 500 acres will remain green. Jackson 21 is designed for really nice people of all ages who love sports and really nice people of all ages who love the arts. We'll get the best in the business to provide sports facilities. We'll have an experimental theater in IMAX surrounded by studios for all the arts. There will be a village green with a restaurant row. Facing the green will be beautiful shops, offices, and apartments. Opposite the green will be our opening act. The gardens, really nice apartments. If you are interested in a shop, restaurant, office, apartments, townhomes, or whatever, and you are a really nice person, 
please contact me at jackson21.com and share my dream. If you're not a nice person, please don't call. I thought it felt culty, you know, between him telling us he wants nice people constantly in that ad. And also it's like, we're going to have this and this and 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 we're going to have shops and theaters and you're never going to have to leave. You can stay here forever. You know, kind of that <laughs> thing. Uh, he's, but from that ad, he he's like a really sweet old guy. So Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I, none, none of us are bashing Mitch Lee here. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, the man wrote The Impossible Dream, and he'll always get royalties for that song, regardless of whether a production is currently happening of the show. Yeah, which, you know, leads me to question, why did he keep trying <laughs> and trying I don't know. He, he was a creative man. He just didn't, he couldn't figure it out a second time. That's so sad. It's like the story of Meredith Wilson and others who like had a, the biggest hit on earth and then everything else they created was garbage some people just have one show in them I guess his whole career was backwards it started with a huge hit and then just went the opposite direction yeah so I have this quote from him in 88 or 89 he says it all started when I was approaching my 60th birthday. I was thinking about what I hadn't done in my life that I wanted to do. Aww. One thing was to play my music in a jazz band, which I eventually did at the Metropolitan Museum of Art last year. Oh. The other... Yeah, it's cute. The other was Chu Chem. He goes on to say, Chu Chem was never finished in Philadelphia. We knew what was wrong. We just never rewrote it. Clearly not the case, because the Broadway version, <laughs> what did I that say? Was 40, yet another, yet another misstep. 45 performance. Well, hey, if you, if you got a flop in your pocket and you got the money to get it up, uh, just do it. You only live once. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So the show opens March 1989, off-off Broadway at the Jewish Repertory Theater, starring Mark Zeller as Chu Chem this time. And this... Do you know Mark Zeller at all? Uh, remind me who he is. I think he did a number of Fiddler on the Roofs, but he was also in a ton of flops. He was in Shangri-La, he was in Ari, Saratoga, and I think right before this he was in Reuben Reuben. Interesting. We'll definitely come back to him then. Yeah, he really, know, you know, he knows flops and was just ready for another one. <laughs> he was there. He was just there. Uh, I keep, I keep going, I keep going back to thinking about like you know running down the hall for a quick change and seeing the closing, <laughs> and having to finish the quick change. Uh, oh, I'm going out there half dressed. <laughs> I mean, oh, I can just leave my pants off for this one. <laughs> Nothing matters. Uh, Molly Pacone's role, which had already been diminished, is removed. She's replaced with an uncle character. Two or three new songs are added. 80% of the lyrics are changed, so that demo is not very true of whatever the f*** actually happened on Broadway. Total, um, it seems sounds like a total rewrite. <laughs> and hooray, a reduction in the insensitivity. Notice I said reduction, reduction. not removal. Reduction. It was the 80s after all, folks. I mean... No more Mongol Lord Hoo-Ha. He's gone. They reduced the play within a play element, so it's not so caricature of mm -hmm. Chinese theater. The roles, as far as I can tell, were all appropriate. I can't say the word, John. Appropriately. <laughs> Just be yourself, Mark. <laughs> it's been a long day. Uh, the roles are um, 
all correctly cast by yes. ethnicity. Which is fairly progressive when you realize that it would only be a couple months before Miss Saigon opened with Jonathan Price playing Jonathan the engineer. Price, right, 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 yeah. right. I, I mean, it's such... Um, Flop of the Heap would like to go on the record to state that we do not support any kind of uh, color face casting in any shape or form. It is. It should have been more strongly frowned upon in the 60s, in the 80s. It's ridiculous that we are still doing this garbage today. Do you remember, I mean, have you ever read, I mean, Jonathan Price? Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Price, he's a brilliant, brilliant as the engineer. He shouldn't have had the opportunity to play it. But Equity was good enough to be like, absolute, this is the Actors Union, by the way, in case you don't know. Uh, Actors Equity was like, no, absolutely not. You cannot do that. And then they were like, well, then we're not going to bring the show to America. And Equity caved because they thought too many jobs would be lost. I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, so, okay, so in the plot of Miss Saigon, this isn't, we could do a whole episode about this. Yeah. But the engineer is of mixed race. He's French and Vietnamese, yes? Correct, I believe. Uh, father French, mother Vietnamese. And it's, it's like, he's mixed. Uh, Jonathan Price can't pass for mixed. There's nothing, you can't do yellow face, folks. Despite some of those positive changes, the show added some new, questionable, at least by today's standards, songs, like the opening number, which is titled, oh god, Orient Yourself. Oh no! (gasps) And the Act 2 opener, Reorient Yourself. Is it tongue-in-cheek? I think they were trying to. Like, I don't imagine Mitch Lee to be a, a raging racist. Is it meant to be a commentary? I, I think it's supposed to be tongue-in-cheek. Not okay. a commentary. I don't think it... It was a comedy. They were. This was not a serious <sighs> show. It sounds... It sounds bad. Here's the other addition. The ushers handed out fortune cookies to everyone in the audience. Nope. <laughs> Josh just rolled his eyes. Nope. Uh, and it, it bared messages such as... A half hour after seeing Chu Chem, you'll be hungry to see it again. (laughs) Mark, this is true? This is factual? Where did you find this information? Oh, God. (gasps) A book called, I don't know, Musicals of the 1960s or something along those lines. That is abominable. Yeah. Yeah. A half hour, a half hour after Chu Chem, you will not be hungry for more Chu Chem. It's true. After listening to that demo, I have no doubts about that. I gotta go. I gotta go back to the music because we gotta talk about it. Okay. Um, but Spur, the Yiddish theater production, had a couple of decent reviews from the New York Times, including one that called it "quote a delicious little kosher egg roll of a show." Okay, it's using the food metaphor, but in a friendly way, not an insulting way. Uh, So it moves to the Ritz Theater. It's largely ignored, even by Tony, the Tony Awards Committee, uh, and it closes after forty-five performances. I think I looked up. On average, they filled about thirty percent of the seats, and they were offering very discounted tickets. I imagine they were. Wow. If if you've seen Chu Chem, please write to us at flop of the heap at dot podcast dot what <laughs> john doesn't even know our i don't know, I don't know. I, nobody told me <laughs> uh, 
show at Flop of the Heap Podcast. What's the what's the password to the you can log on to our account at home? Okay, I want to go back to the, the the actual music of the show. So that demo was just unbelievable, and I think fifty percent of what was on that demo was cut by the time it got to Broadway in '89. Okay, yeah. But listening listening to the demo, and you have to remember, it was written in the '60s. A lot of the ballads sort of sounded like they came straight out of the B side of a Moody Blues album. Okay, like the guitar had that sort of like slightly psychedelic feel to it the up-tempo numbers i guess sort of like like a johnny rockets waitress would sing it to me like it's got this like rockabilly like sound pop pop rock there was a little bit of like a sort of like a feeling of some of hairs like upbeat numbers to it it was John, it was all over the f***ing place. And occasionally they would throw in sort of Asian melodies. One critic described it as Asian come Broadway with lyrics that impart chicken soup philosophy. Hmm. Yeah. Boo. Uh, here's that chicken soup ph- Boo. Here's that chicken soup philosophy for you. Some lyrics. Song called One at a Time. Be an anxious little beaver. Stay on top of every challenge you pursue. May your triumphs number many, but in order to have any, never bite off any more than you can chew. Chem. Chew, Chem. (laughs) (laughs) I think the creative team really needed to take their own advice on that one before uh, mounting that second production of Chew, Chem. There's a song called Our Kind of War, which actually the, the critics actually kind of like. Here's the lyrics to that. Our kind of war is the kind kind of war where no one gets shot at or is hurt like before. Let's go out and sell it, knock on every door. The whole world is waiting just for our kind of war. Hmm. Based on where it was in the production, I think they're sort of saying, you know, there's the whole assimilation aspect to the show of, is it good if you're assimilated, you know, because people accept you, but then you lose your culture, you know, what's that balance? But I think they're sort of saying that the new kind of war is kindness to assimilate people so they, they become you. Uh, uh, well, to describe assimilation as a form of peace is a good message, isn't it? But, you know, for... At least for Jews, maybe it's because it's been so common in our history, to lose the Jewishness is also seen as a negative. So I think that's the whole thing. There's a very, it leaves you questioning, is it good? They weren't persecuted, but they've basically disappeared, the whole culture. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a question mark. Um, All right. Are we ready for the true critical reception? Because this is good. Yes. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for... Critical Reception! All right. Give, start. I, I cannot wait. I think the these, these critics write such perfect, witty, ridiculous reviews. These are some of the best I've seen. I cannot wait. Uh, so... 
let me just point out, because the show was in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, originally a lot of these reviews are going to be from New Jersey and Philadelphia. Got it. Frank Brady of the Asbury Park Press. We know the Asbury Park Press. Oh, okay. I've been reviewed in the Asbury Park Press. Called the show kosher but meatless. Quote. (laughs) Meatless. No one has ever described a Broadway show as meatless before now. Quote. It is a kind of kosher chop suey, and they are going to have to mix in a lot more meat if the producers hope to stay on the Broadway menu. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, He called it cluttered, skimpy, and a brittle skeleton of a show. Uh, Stephen R. Allen of the Courier Post. Chu Chem is the greatest Chinese Hebrew musical ever written. But as an ordinary musical, it's as interesting as Chinese water torture. That's not interesting. That's painful. Yeah. (laughs) It's psychologically painful. Yeah, but to say it's uninteresting. (laughs) You're right about that. Yeah, it's definitely not uninteresting. (laughs) Okay, what else have we got? Robert Feldberg of The Record. No, we're hearing some new one. We're going to hear some some boys that we haven't heard before because it's in New York. It's all Clive Barnes and Walter Kerr. Yeah, he titled his uh, article... Fiddler on the Hoof, Chinese <laughs> style. That's terrible. Give me more, give me more. Chu Chem is aimed at theater goers with low expectations. <laughs> and such folks might find it pleasant. Oh, that's insulting. That's how he ended that article. Yeah, so I'm all about it. I'm all about it. I get such joy from this. Any other any other good ones? That was good. Henry T. Murdoch of the Philadelphia Inquirer says, quote, The show has been drastically slashed by director Albert Marr in a form of field surgery with wounds left bleeding and unbound. <laughs> it's gruesome. Yeah. Almost as gruesome as Chinese water torture. Yeah. We have to move on to, John, is the show going to work today? Uh... Is is Chuchem going to work today, Mark? I For the first time, I'm going to say absolutely not. No way. No okay. way in hell. I don't think anyone wants... Good. Mark, for once, for once you're right. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Kai Fung Ju's interesting history topic. Don't know that I would make a comedy musical out of them. Don't know if I would either. <laughs> uh, boy. Ken Burns might do something interesting with it. I'd watch that. I'd watch the hell out of that. If I heard if I heard Ken Burns was doing a musical on Broadway, I would want to see it. Do you think it'd be good? No. <laughs> no, I do not. And that's why I would want to see it. Um well, that's Chu Chem. That's Hum, folks. That's Hum in a nutshell. That's that's you in a nutshell. That's that's a fortune cookie in a nutshell. Uh let me say something nice just maybe No, don't say anything nice. I'm sorry. Um so we said that we were having trouble finding information on these shows. We wanted to go to the Performing Arts Library at uh, Lincoln Center. But because of COVID, they're starting to close off people from coming to do research again. Um, so 
they need your help. They're a great organization. If you want to donate to the New York Public Library System, uh, you can do so by going to www.nypl.org support donate. Yeah, support all your artist friends right now. If you donated six months ago, please consider donating again. Things aren't getting better. For anyone. No. Uh, for Jeff Bezos, they are. Oh, well, he's doing fine, but he was fine before. Well, I mean, once you have a trillion dollars, what, 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 I mean, what, who needs eight trillion? John, if Jeff Bezos is doing well, we're all doing well, right? Isn't that how it works? Uh, yeah, that's trickle-down economics. The ghost of Reagan has been telling us about this <laughs> in our dreams for decades. Oh, boy. Uh, things are great in America right now. Hope hope we provided a couple laughs for you on this floptastic journey. Uh, should we stop recording for, and then start a new one for Hyman? Yeah, signing off. Uh, the education of Hyman Kaplan is up next, folks. folks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm stopping. Okay, bye. Stop.